everybody. This is Jonathan with the Access Ninja Podcast, and we've got a very different episode for you today. First of all, if you've been following along with the show, you've probably noticed that this episode's coming out a bit late. And the reason for that is some technical problems. Basically, the filing system on my computer got hosed and I had to do a rather dramatic recovery from a backup we had. And that really delayed the release of this episode. First of all, I want to apologize for that. And second of all, we're probably going to do an episode on how exactly uh, Rachel and I back up our computers because it really saved me uh, in this most recent technical issue. Also, this episode is not going to be your standard episode. A while ago, Rachel and I considered starting another podcast, a movie review podcast where we talk about audio descriptions. And we thought, hey, what would be a better time to play one of these episodes for you, our listeners? Then right after the episode, we talked about experiences at the movies. So in this episode, you're going to be hearing a a recording that we did, a review of uh, the movie Zootopia. And it's a a shorter episode than usual. I think you'll enjoy it. And if you like it, you want to hear more of these, let us know at feedback at access.ninja. We've actually recorded several of these episodes. They've never been released before until now. And then... Coming up with our next episode, we're going to be talking about the uh, the big announcements Apple has coming up uh, in uh, in September. Uh, the new release of iOS and probably some new iPhones and maybe some new Apple Watches. We'll see. So we're going to talk about um, that in our next episode. But in this one, uh, a short episode about reviewing alternative audio tracks or audio description tracks in the movies like Zootopia. So I hope you enjoy this. Like I said, let us know. And with that, here we go. And we're here to talk about uh, some of our favorite movies. Uh, Talk about what we like, what we don't like. Yeah, so our special angle on this movie is we also talk about the descriptive audio tracks that are included in movies. And those are... Uh, basically descriptions of things that are happening in the movie for people who have a difficult time uh, seeing the screen from a vision impairment or, or blindness. Is is that a fair description, Rachel? Oh, totally. And also for people that want to cook and don't want to look at the screen. It's actually a great way. It almost turns a movie into a radio play. But we're not going to go into detail about exactly what descriptive audio is. If you're curious, uh, we're going to post some more information on the website so you can check it out there. So the movie we're reviewing today is a children's movie made by uh, Disney and is called Zootopia. Now, Zootopia is the first uh, Disney animated film since their, I think it was Robin Hood, uh, that uh, depicts animal characters who are walking around on two legs and wearing clothes. And they live in this great city called uh, Zootopia. The general plot line uh, of this movie uh, follows a character as a rabbit called Judy Hopps. And ever since she was a child, she wanted to become the first ever rabbit police officer, uh, despite her size and her appearance. And uh, her other goals when she becomes a uh, police officer is to move into the city of Zootopia, where predators and prey and all types of mammals all live together in harmony so we (laughs) (laughs) so we we follow her uh on her uh quest to become a police officer uh despite uh people feeling that she's not going to be able to do it being uh just a small rabbit and uh 
we follow her experience of moving to Zootopia, uh, a place that is supposed to be Utopia, where everyone lives together, but is maybe not quite as it seems. And she just wanted to make a difference in the world. <laughs> uh, so this movie as a whole, I really, really liked it. It's it's rather well reviewed. I've got kind of a thing for the Pixar Disney movies, though, so I, I do have a tendency to be a little bit biased. Uh, I do like uh, that this movie is, is kind of a, it's a buddy cop movie in a lot of ways. <laughs> it Maybe. is. Because uh, Judy, when she gets to Zootopia, runs into a mischievous fox character uh, who uh, she has to essentially trick in order to help her solve the case of, uh, of various missing mammals. Uh, and that case, uh, as of course, as she explores it, gets bigger and bigger and has widespread implications for the city of Zootopia. So I did think I did really like I said I I did really really enjoy this movie uh quite a bit. What did you think of it, Rachel? I loved it. I mean, at first, you know, everybody kept talking about it and I didn't really care. And I do like Disney movies, but Zootopia to me just sounded like eh. <laughs> but then when I watched the movie, it was so cool because it's not just you know, talking about wanting to be something or going beyond the status quo but you know it it has a lot of depth in many ways like you know in politics and you can we can talk about the movie from different angles like for hours it's kind of cool yeah yeah because at some point it's the like follow your dreams sort of sort of movie but at the same time it's also about um you know what kind of ha- what kind of happens when you take a diverse group of people and put them together? And <laughs> it's, yeah, not, it's not harmony for sure. <laughs> it's not harmony, right? And even even when the characters, because one of the central ideas is that we've got both predator and prey together, and how um, predators are no longer uh, hunting prey anymore, and so they all live together, uh, and so therefore uh, everything must be great. Uh, but it's kind of kind of shows that even though you have a group of people who live together and even though those people you know don't necessarily you know they're not they're not at each other's throats it doesn't mean that they get along it doesn't mean that they don't build up stereotypes and beliefs or that they don't clump themselves into their own individual groups right and it and it had a lot of that you know with the fox being kind of prejudiced against foxes and it was kind of funny you know to to see all those stereotypes and then in the end, they were all breaking that stereotype. Exactly. I thought it was interesting because they could approach some issues that um, that you know modern day we might consider to be issues with race, but they could approach them with the animals, and it's a lot more gentle uh, <laughs> to say like uh, you know the stereotype of the the sly fox or um, the elephant never forgetting or just a, even you know it's kind of funny because stereotypes are one of those things that you know some of them are negative and some of them are um just are, are wrong in general but they actually like the like the stereotype that oh if you're asian you must be good at math right right and people think oh that's a harmless assumption right but it's not really you know you're really you're putting on your own ideas and beliefs on a person and, and if they're not good at that particular thing you've stereotyped them for then what do you think about them it's it's a weird pressure it's just uh, it's not harmless, even though it might appear to be. And uh, they, kind of, they kind of play on that a little bit uh, using the animal characters. It's kind of hard, you know, because the brain needs to kind of classify everything and categorize in order to, to make sense of it. And 
and even though we have to do that, you know, it's very harmful to kind of box people into different stereotypes. Yeah, this movie reminds me of how like a good science fiction movie can cover a social issue, uh, but kind of mask it in, oh, it's aliens or, oh, it's artificial intelligence or something like that. They kind of did that same thing, but with animal characters. And it's kind of, I think it's kind of a bold thing to do in a children's movie. Although I don't think that they attacked anything in a way that I think parents would uh, disagree with. Yeah, I, I agree. It was a very, it was really well done. It was very elegant. And and I also think that, you know, I I thought it was kind of interesting how they also tackled a little bit of the inclusion topic. You know, being a person that's totally blind, like to me, it's kind of interesting, you know, how they had all the minimal inclusion and and then in the police force. And I thought it was pretty interesting. Oh, you like the, the mammal inclusion uh, program? Yeah, <laughs> that was an interesting touch. I also like that when uh, when Judy uh, is starting up uh, her first day on the force, uh, she used, she says, I'm not a token bunny. <laughs> yes, exactly. That made me laugh a lot, actually, because, you know, I in some jobs I had before, I used to feel like a token line <laughs> employee. So <laughs> I totally understand. And I thought some of those jokes were, you know, very related beyond racism and all that, but really about different abilities. And it was very, very cute. One thing I thought was really interesting, and I we're, we're going to talk about the uh, audio description track in detail in, in a little bit, uh, but one thing I thought was really interesting about this movie is um, the world that they built for the animals, uh, and I don't think the descriptor track really covers this, is uh, is designed with the idea that these animals are dramatically different sizes from each other. Because, mm-hmm. and, and really scale-wise, the way they did it, the animals are all roughly the right scale to each other. And so... Uh, Judy is significantly smaller than everybody, but of course she does have a chase through um, uh, a, a city of rodents. So that at that point she's gigantic. Uh, but some of the infrastructure they built, uh, like on the train that she gets on, uh, there's actually several different doors for different size animals to get in and out of. There's also uh, a scene where when she gets off the train near the beginning of the movie where there's a um, a drink stand that's run by, I can't remember, it's some small animal. And it has a, a lift that basically when uh, there's a giraffe there and he orders a drink and the lift goes and raises it up to the right height. Um, you know, I mean, some of the stuff was described, but very in passing. I made the association about her being bigger. Because it says she looks like a giant to this rodent, um, you know, city, and she's about to trample everything. So that gave me the the idea of the scale. But for example, the lift, I don't remember. Uh, I mean, it said it it rised, right? But I didn't understand exactly. Yeah, when I heard that description, I said that doesn't really explain this is this is and this scene was specifically designed to show the scale difference between the animals all living in one place, but having a you know having a transit system, having food and restaurants, and how do we accommodate those different sizes? Oh, Katie and I did. Uh, my wife Katie and I did joke once that uh, if you were a bigger animal, um, then cost of living must be significantly higher. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yeah, you need more space, more weight. 
another thing about this movie, because uh, this is a computer animated film, uh, which I think Disney's almost exclusively doing computer animation rather than hand drawn animation. They only rarely do hand on drawn, drawn work now. Uh, is uh, it looks amazing, uh, and I remember in uh, one of the specials on the on the DVD, they mentioned that uh, they actually rendered each uh, each hair on the animal separately so that it really looks like you know it looks like you can pet them. <laughs> I don't wow. know how else to describe it. So it is really really gorgeous movie and they just hadn't done that type of work because it's really hard to do fur uh in a computer animated world uh and make it look good well the other thing that i found was uh you know it was going a little fast so there wasn't enough uh pauses for a real description to get in so uh, there was so many details that it kind of got lost you know a little bit like the lego movie which we'll do someday but um (laughs) It was very interesting. It is interesting. The movie goes from kind of a heavy dialogue, so you don't have much of those pauses, to uh, you know, kind of longer sequences uh, without uh, without any dialogue when someone's sneaking or, or, right. or some big scene. And uh, I noticed that with the descriptions, yeah, you'd go from getting a lot of information to a long sequence of getting well, no, no information, information yeah. whatsoever. Correct. Uh, what did you think of the uh, the score? Uh, the music oh i thought it was fantastic i actually loved it and and it was kind of interesting because you know when she gets to her what's it the first or the second day on her room and she's there like flipping through the radio and <laughs> yes, and they oh, are yeah. real music but it's sort of a re-recording to fit the the sort of the zootopia world you know so i thought it was brilliant I think they did an excellent job too with the uh, uh, with the with the music to keep it kind of it's got kind of a it's got kind of a jungly feel and sometimes uh, and I also thought that the 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 sound work was really good. There's some scenes where uh, the characters are in tunnels and you hear the reverb and you kind of feel the environment. No, yeah, it was really like the sound was really well done, and then also the music kind of gave this spirit to what was going on. You know, like when they were in the chase. Um, so it, it reminded me a little bit, not not exactly, but a little bit more like the movies in the seventies and sixties, you know, where they when they made the music have a lot more context to what was going on. Yeah, it does remind me of uh even even a little bit to some of the Spielberg movies a bit where the, the music really accents the action. Uh very, very, very you know, in sync. Uh, so the music isn't just there to fill in the background. It actually kind of lends itself to what the scene's going on. Uh, and so when someone gets surprised, the really the dr- dr- dramatic accents or the emotions of the scene are reflected in the music. And I thought that was a good detail. You you, you don't always see that in, uh, in movies consistently. <laughs> yeah, and I would say that movies from the 90s on, it's very difficult to see that. I mean, unless if it's a Spielberg movie or... You know, uh, sometimes the movies that, uh, what's that, John William, I think is his name, that he composes a lot of movie music. Um, yeah, he does the big orchestras. Uh, what's it, John right. Williams? is like John Star Wars yeah, and exactly. I think Indiana Jones. Right, so he, he, he always brings some spirit to the movie. But, um, but unfortunately, I think since the 90s, you rarely see this, you know, the music really meaning something 
I mean, it's more like an artist creates a, a song, right, to go with the movie, which is fine, but it's still art. It's not just, it's not really meaningful. It's more what the artist is thinking uh, is the feel for it, but it doesn't add any extra information for somebody that's missing out on the visual. Speaking of missing out on the visual, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the descriptive audio track that uh, was provided for Zootopia. All right, so this uh, this voice that they picked out uh, this was uh, done by uh, uh, Veronica Higgs was her name, and she works for BTI Studios out of London. Uh, interestingly enough, she wrote and voiced the audio description for this movie, and she has a uh, very distinctive British accent. Yes, of course. Uh, which is, uh, bec- you can kind of tell she wrote it too because she uses a lot of British terms for things. Like when <laughs> Judy needs to use the flashlight on her uh, on her phone in order to illuminate the uh, the torch. room. Torch! <laughs> to it as the torch. I wanted them to, to, to the get into the trunk of the car. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> I wanted them to get into a trunk of a car so she could say, like, Judy opens the boot. (laughs) They did call her a boot bunny or something, a bootleg bunny. (laughs) And I I wasn't really sure what they meant by that. So I did did find her voice uh, very, very pleasant. Uh, I did think she has a nice voice. Uh, The accent uh, wasn't too bad. I didn't have a hard time with it, but, you know, Americans love British accents. So uh, I did think it was nice, but she did speak. And we mentioned this earlier before we recorded. She was speaking rather quickly. Yeah, she was. And I understand because sometimes you have to do a little faster, you know, to keep up with the uh, with the rhythm of the movie. But the problem was that I think it was too fast. And especially when it was in between uh, dialogue and there was music she would just say something really fast and and even as an as an adult and as a practice um you know narration consumer um i i couldn't i couldn't keep up with it at all times it was a little bit of uh mentally hmm, taxing I also think this movie was a little bit of a of a challenge because uh, it does flip between heavy dialogue scenes and then long longer action sequences without dialogue. And I felt like the description there were some scenes where the description really excelled. I thought I got uh, from uh, when when Judy is uh, uh, giving out tickets when she's uh, starting out as a meter maid. Uh, I thought you know some of the descriptions she used were were very nice there. What what was there anything that stood out to you? Oh no, the beginning was really nice. Um, I liked how she described the, you know, the who was parked and and you know, like she says, and then the mouse comes and she just put her ticket and you know, it was really well done. But yeah, like I said, other places was harder, and then of course it's hard to narrate. It's not it's not an easy job. No, no, and she, uh, and I'm impressed she did both. You know, both narrated and was the uh, and wrote the uh, the script the audio description, which was good. Um, I did think it was there. She took a little bit of artistic license in one or two places too. I wasn't sure what you thought of this. There was a scene uh, near the beginning where Judy's about to go off to work for the first time, and uh, her father, in fear of the dangers of the inner city, has given her fox spray. <laughs> 
And so she, uh, when she, when she's about to go, uh, she grabs, she grabs, uh, I don't know, her keys and some other things off, off the table and uh, it's being described and she leaves. And then the voice simply says As a th- on second thought. thought, right. Yes. And then she opens the door and grabs us. So you know what happened? I thought that was interesting because it wasn't a literal description, but it conveyed the events that were happening. What, what did you think of that? Yeah, for me, what's kind of interesting because I don't know uh, what a... You know, what what makes it really interesting about this movie is that it's a a children's movie. So, you know, I think the artistic part is great, but I'm not really sure a child would really understand, you know, as a second thought. Like, so I thought it was a little bit... I would have rather if she said, said... she paused and looks whatever way. I'm, I'm sure she had some kind of expression on her face. So something describing that expression and then she could go back and and get it, you know? Yeah, because the, the narrator's relying on our kind of, this is a, a common thing that happens in movies, you know, or the, the, the pause and the go back. and Right. Using the word on second thought is kind of presuming we have that knowledge or we, we know this sort of scene. Right. There's no, we're just trying to experience in that. Yeah, maybe a small child might not have that same connection an, that an adult would have to uh, uh, to simply on second thought rather right. than <laughs> Judy pauses before grabbing the. And I understand because it was kind of fast, right? And but there was time. There was pause. There was pause before and after the second thought. So she, I think she could have said, you know, because the child would hear the door closing. In this case, sorry. So I knew the door closed. So she's like, "Now, nah, gonna leave it." And then it's like she stops and thinks, and you know, reopens the door and, and gets it. So something like that, where he's actually describing the expression. And I think it's really important because many, many, many blind kids miss out on expressions. Like it's like me when I'm choosing an emoji and it says confused face. I don't know what that means. I know what's to be confused, but I don't know if that means, uh, you know, it, it, that your brows are up and or down or do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there's no actual description of the face. It's just saying, oh, they're they're confused. And you go, well, what type of in the expression? There's a lot of different ways you could express that. Now, the way they're expressing it might convey additional meaning. Correct. Or at the very, <laughs> in the very least, in a children's movie, convey emotion, like teach the children's about emotion and, and how people look or react when, Correct. They're, uh, yeah, so, when they're upset or so confused. So based on that, I think it was a risky thing to do, to take that artistic, uh, you know, stand. But because it's very important, and I think especially the children that cannot see, they already miss out in so much, like expressions, body expression, face expression, um, and and even in books. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, you, you miss out in so much the information of the book, even if they make it tactile. Maybe they'll make it tactile, the, the biggest thing on that page, but you're missing out all the other details. So I think it's, it's very important to... To describe that, so there were a, there were a couple of details that were not described at all uh, that were kind of really interesting elements that uh, I just wanted to mention uh, to see what you thought about those scenes and compared to you know what I saw. Mm-hmm. 
So specific, specifically at the very beginning of the movie when uh, Judy gets on the train to travel to Zootopia, uh, there's uh, music playing. They've got that try anything, try everything song, the Shakira song that they play at the beginning right. and at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And so I think she was reluctant to, to speak over that song. Uh, and she gave very, very, very basic descriptions of what Zootopia looks like. Yeah, that annoyed me a bit. Like, oh, it goes through blue waters and through mountains and through... And I'm like, okay, where, how, and what perspective? And is it going through different cities or, you know, or what? So what what I what I saw she because this was an amazing opening sequence it's it really establishes the tone for the city kind of brings the city alive is as she's driving through uh, as the train's driving through the different sections so basically Zootopia has got like multiple sections to it uh, one's a Sahara one's uh, one's a tundra area and as we drive through uh, we'll be in the Sahara and there'll be this big desert area and then they go through a tunnel and they come out the other side and they're all of a sudden in um in a, in a winterscape and there's a a wall and you can see there's these giant air conditioners that are on one side uh pushing cold air towards the uh the winter area but because one of the side effects of an air conditioner is it it kicks off heat because it separates the cold from the heat the heat is going towards the desert side so there's these gigantic air conditioners pushing out cold and hot air that separate the two environments so that the animals can live in whatever environment is natural to them. Right, because they had the section of the rainforest and they, so they had to create the environments, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just so beautiful as they drive through each section. You see, uh, you know, the buildings that they live in and, and the animals that live there. And there's that transition and they, they kind of do like a flyover. And you can see how the two different environments transition, but how there are like almost big infrastructure built to, to keep uh, to keep the areas uh, with their designated environment. Right. Yeah. And you see, I think that is a very important uh, part of it. Like, let's see if you're in class and a fourth grader has to do a paper about this. I mean, this uh, gives a big context about how do they live and how do they live together and how do you bring it all together? Because to say the truth, in my view, was more like it was more like a city like the world, you know, and that's why you could get all those uh, environments. And I was actually wondering how they made it so it could all be together in one place. Yeah, there's a there's a downtown area that looks like a big downtown city with tall buildings. Uh, looks very much like any other downtown city, but that's just the center. That's just the center of the city, and and they go and they you know they go to different parts of the city and they transition into one area and it's 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 all winter and there's snow and then they go to another area and it's it's uh, a big jungle and uh, I feel like it's it's kind of miss how those areas are just all kind of clumped together, close to each other. There, there's also some funny things that were just described, I think, in a way that was easier to describe but didn't represent exactly what was there. Uh, at the very beginning, there's um, a bunch of kids telling the story about how predators and prey now live together. Like, in ancient times, predators were savage. And they described that as being a, uh, a, 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 school, uh, a, a school play. 
Right. And it it, and it it does come off like that, but it's clearly they're in a tent. And when they go outside, they're clearly at like a county fair. Oh, you see, and that to me makes a huge difference. I don't understand uh, why, you know, I used to think that they would get the scripts of the movie, you know, the same ones that the directors get and the actors, because that's where it has all the sort of idea of what's going to happen. And I always thought that that would help create the narration, but apparently not. There's also just some really funny details. There's a scene in the movie where a character is eating a donut, but it's described as a bagel. Uh, there's also a scene in an ice cream parlor where she describes the uh, uh, one of the elephants who's making the ice cream is, is covering it with sprinkles, but it's not sprinkles. It's, it's whole peanuts. It's just some kind of funny things that were just a little bit off. But there's one particular detail that I was really surprised was not actually described well. And I think it's because it's a difficult thing to describe. But so, you know, Nick has got that companion that helps him run his uh, <laughs> lolly shop. <laughs> yeah, his his scam. Uh, and it's they keep mentioning that it's a, a small like fox cub. Right. Uh, and you probably noticed he's got a very, very deep voice. Yes. And you would probably lead to believe that this is a baby with a very deep and tough voice. Right. Baby fox, but it's not. It's actually a full-grown fox. He's just not the same type of fox as Nick. He's uh, a fennec fox, which is a small type of fox. Uh, I think it lives uh, uh, in uh, northern Africa. And full size, they are uh, much smaller than a, than, than a the type of fox, the red fox that uh, Nick is. And it, what's distinctive about them is they have much longer ears than a traditional fox. So basically what Nick's doing is he's taking Nick and his uh, and his buddy, who's named Finnick. I don't know if they say his name. I had to look it up. Uh, I also look up what I type of fox he was. I think it was just one time. But yeah I, yeah, I was confused. You see, I thought that Nick had a kid and he had a partner that had that that thick voice. Oh yeah, and I thought that he was because he was the one he you got hustled, you got hustled, you got hustled, you know. Yeah. So I thought, but I couldn't figure out what kind of animal it was because she never mentioned. So now it makes total sense. It's it's funny because it's it's Nick and uh, Finnick are playing on the idea, kind of playing on the almost the prejudices of the characters around them or the other animals that they wouldn't know that Fennec is in fact not a fox not a not a same type of fox that he's a different fox but because he's smaller and he has similar features that you know people can't tell the difference yeah it's kind of like when people say Japanese and Chinese are the same which they're not if you actually know how to recognize you know different uh, Asian ethnicities I mean me being half a Japanese it was kind of funny because when I moved to Chile everybody used to call me Chinese you know I'm saying no, no. <laughs> we just have Japanese. Exactly, you know. So you you could almost take advantage of that. I mean, you think about Asian actors in the U.S. who who play completely different. You know, was it Mister the guy who plays Mister Miyaki, who from the Karate Kid? Oh yeah, is playing. Uh, he's uh oh, I'm gonna get this wrong. I think he's from Korea. I, I, yeah, I, I'm I, gonna say it wrong. I'm feeling really bad now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I believe he is. Yeah. But he's been playing Chinese characters for the for his whole career because, well, M Americans can't don't know the difference. So he's <laughs> kind of taking advantage of that in the kind of the same way that Finnick's char the character Finnick uh, is taking advantage of the fact that people don't know 
what type of animal he is. Right. Yeah, it's the same. How? What was it? I saw the other day. Uh, it's a. It's a. What's her name? Sofia Vergara, I think. Yeah. I, yeah. I think. I think she's Mexican. I'm gonna get that wrong too, but I think she's Mexican and she's playing typical like a Colombian or something like that, you know. Which the accents are totally different too, but well, nobody knows, so makes no difference. It's, yeah, I can really uh, take advantage of that, uh, and I feel like that that's an interesting detail that uh, is completely lost for the uh, the audience using descriptive audio. Right, that's correct. And I think that happens in a lot of movies. Um, it's a, a brush off. And of course, it's not anybody's fault, right? Because it's a hard job to do. But um, I do think that there is an emphasis on trying to protect the music and other things. And the truth is, if I want to listen to the music, I will watch the movie again without the description track on. So... When I have the audio description on, what I'm really looking for is the information. And, of course, the dialogue. But, you know, it, it doesn't really matter, the music or or, or to hear it, it. That doesn't make any difference. Plus, when you live hearing things, you can both hear the foreground and the background at once. Because you're just used to doing that. So overall, compared to other movies you've you've watched, how did you feel the uh, descriptive audio? How did you think it stacks up? Ooh, are we going to do a 5 or a 10 scale? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, let's, let's, let's start with a 5 scale. Perhaps. Okay, well, on a 5 scale, if 1 is the best and 5 is the worst, I would give her a 2. Let's, really well let's, let's let's flip that. Would you say it's a four out of five, five being the best? Oh, okay. Well, then it's a four. Okay. That's four. Four stars. Yeah. I uh, and I haven't listened to as many movies with the audio description myself, so if, to me, uh, I I don't ha- I couldn't get a strong impression of it, but I, it felt like it was really good. Uh, and like I said, I, other than those a couple of small details uh, that were missing, I I think that she did she did a good job, and but it was a, it was a challenging movie. Correct. Well, excellent. I, I think like we. So, <laughs> so would you? Uh, so you would you recommend this movie to other people? Oh, for sure. The movie's great. I really like the movie. I think there's a lot of food for thought in there, uh, regardless of audio description or not. Yeah, I think so too. I think it was. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I think a lot of people can get a lot of different things out of it. Uh, I did have another friend who watched it. He didn't pick up on any of the cultural political elements to it at all but he really enjoyed the movie for what it was as well so i think it's got something that's uh, uh enjoyable for everybody it's just some people might get a, a deeper feeling out of it uh as far as the the moral or the story they're trying to tell than, than maybe some other people would but uh, overall i really loved it i would also say that it's not just a kid movie you know because a lot of people say ah it's a kid movie like for example i love the little mermaid but i would never recommend it to an adult you know but uh this one i think it it would be a great watch even for you know adults without kids around yeah i think an experienced movie movie viewer will probably enjoy a lot of the references they they do make references to like the godfather and chinatown and other <laughs> like crime movies too so it, they definitely have a lot for adults in there <laughs> yeah i agree so that was our very first 
audio description movie review podcast. Once again, if you did enjoy us, let us know at feedback at access.ninja. And I also want to let everyone know that you can find our podcast in lots of places now. We are on Stitcher. We are on Google Play. And of course, we are on iTunes. And if you don't like any of those, you can always listen to us at access.ninja. That's not .com. That's access.ninja. So with that, everybody, be good to each other, all right?